Welcome to the Antioch Dallas Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are continuing our series called Saturate, where we're learning what it looks like to be authentic disciples of Jesus. Today's message is titled, Saved People, Serve People. From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus' work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built. Race relations are more healthy. Works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated. Schools are strengthened. Healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Today's New Testament reading is Philippians 2, 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Today's Gospel reading is John. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should just do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Those are some powerful scriptures we're going to be talking about those today as we continue our time of looking at what it looks like to be an authentic disciple of Jesus. 
what it looks like to be an authentic community, an authentic church of disciples following Jesus. And we're going to be in John chapter 12 today, uh, John chapter 13, rather. Uh, we're going to go through those verses that you just heard. Our big idea for today is save people, serve people, save people, serve people. And we're going to look at this story in John 13, verse 12 through 14 to help us learn about this value for disciples. <clears throat> Before we do that, I want to tell you a story. Many of you know that my wife and I, uh, we lived for a number of years overseas in North Africa. Our oldest daughter, Sparrow, was born there. And that was quite an experience to kind of go through the birth of your first child in another language and have many fond memories of our time uh, in North Africa. When we were considering moving, we, we sensed this might be something that God was calling us to. And we did what you might do is we took a trip to kind of see, man, is this, is this, I don't know, is, is this something that God has for us? And we went there and we spent four weeks in the country. Mark Ziegler, if you're in here, Mark was with us. I've been friends with Mark for a long time. And we were on this trip and just kind of exploring, meeting people, talking about Jesus, praying, and just seeing what God had for us. And we met uh, Mark and I met this very uh, interesting guy named Zach as well. So my name is Zach. His name is Zach. Uh, we called him Frozak because he had an afro, and obviously I do not. Um, and we met him through an another friend. But what was intriguing about this Zach, Frozak, was that he uh, had been searching to find out more about Jesus. Now, the country we're in is 99.9%. Muslim, And if you know anything about uh, the Quran, the Muslim holy book, it speaks about Jesus. It talks about Jesus. So Zach had a little bit of a, of a framework, an incomplete picture, but he was familiar with some basic things about Jesus. But he had come across that old Mel Gibson movie called The Passion of the Christ. He had gotten it in the black market uh, there, kind of a burned DVD, pirated DVD. And uh, he had been watching it. And he was struck by the beauty and the majesty and the grace that he saw in the life of Jesus. It, it, it just it moved something deep within him. And so he had been on a hunt. He'd been going to the Internet Cafe at night, searching the Internet to learn more about who Jesus was. And so we meet him, and obviously we're interested in, in this kind of story and what's going on. And, and so we build a relationship with, with Zach. As we left, we connected him to a friend in the country. And several months later, I got an update on, uh, on Zach. He was a surfer. We were in kind of a part of, of Africa where you go surfing a lot. And he was a surfer. And one night he had had a dream about surfing. And in this dream, he was surfing like normal. And then he got kind of caught by a wave, slammed down and taken into the undertow in his dream. Now, this is normal. If you're a surfer, it's kind of like just par for the course. But in this particular dream, he wasn't able to escape the undertow. He was too far down, too pulled down, and he uh, began to realize that he wasn't going to get out, that he was going to drown. And if you've ever had an experience where you've been in water, where you thought that might happen to you, you can kind of just feel the, the pressure of the water bearing down you know, on you, the lungs just like screaming, anxiety, fear, panic, all of the emotions that you might feel. He's feeling those things in the dream. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. He just knows he can't get out. And then all of a sudden in the dream, Jesus shows up. 
The Jesus that he had learned about somewhat in the Quran that he'd been watching on the movie that he'd been searching the internet for, they'd been reading the New Testament, learning about Jesus showed up in his dream. And Jesus is there in Zach's moment of need where he's being taken under and crushed by the weight of the water. And Jesus reaches his hand down into the water where Zach is. And he pulls him up and he pulls him out of the undertow. And Zach's, <sighs> he can breathe. He's saved. There's new life in his lungs, and then he wakes up from the dream. Now, if this happened to you as it happened to Zach, it was quite startling for him. It was quite, wow, what do I even do with this? This is so powerful and personal and kind of this step in the process of learning about Jesus. And and what Zach realized was that this was more than a dream. This was a new way of understanding. It helped him put together the pieces of the puzzle that he'd been on this journey trying to figure out who Jesus is and was and what did he do and why, why was this just gripping him at this time in his life? And, he, and this dream gave him language to understand Jesus. That Jesus in the dream was saving him from this undertow and that was a way of understanding that Jesus was, uh, was it communicated what the Bible teaches, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to save Zach and you and me from the undertow, the destruction of our own sin that we can't escape from. He comes in and he saves us and he gives us new life and he puts fresh breath in our lungs for Zach. This was more than a dream. It became a new way of understanding life and it began for him A journey of following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, beginning to walk with him. This story here in John 13 is similar. It's more than just an interaction that some disciples long ago had with Jesus. It was a new way of understanding who God is and what God was about and what God was doing in Jesus and what salvation meant. And it's, meant, it's been a central way of understanding the gospel story for disciples of old and disciples today. And so I want us to go through there. I want us to go through it together. John 13, verse 12. When he, being Jesus, had washed their feet, there being his disciples. So when Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and put on his outer garment, He resumed his place and he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. There are three things that I want to show you in here, in this passage, uh, related to save people serving people. Number one, I want to show you the glorious servant. I hope today at the end of our time together that you get a fresh revelation of how awesome Jesus is as the glorious servant. Number two, I want to point out to you the fruit that serving brings. When we as disciples take this teaching and begin to implement it in our life, what God does through us. And number three, I want to show you what serving in this way looks like. 
when we're talking about serving, what does that look like? So let's begin with the glorious servant. That's who this story is about. These disciples, I find, were a lot like us. Uh, Several weeks ago, I talked about the makeup of who these uh, disciples were, people from different backgrounds, belief systems, political viewpoints, economic levels brought together by Jesus, not because of any particular merit on their own that they could run the 40 in a certain amount of time or throw a football a certain distance or they had a certain IQ or SAT score, nothing like that. It was just Jesus just picked them because he just picked them. He just loved them because he loved them and he brought them together And these disciples, in relationship with one another, if you read through the Gospels, had a number of arguments, a number of spirited disputes that were going on amongst them. One in particular that they were arguing about that I think that you and I can relate to uh, was who was the greatest among them. That they were like, okay, we're kind of the, you know, Jesus' team. Uh, I wonder who's our star player. Who's number one? Well, we kind of always, we all know that guy over there, he's number 12. Like he's the real 12th man down there at the end of the bench, right? Everybody knows that. Uh, you know, maybe, I guess probably we all know I'm number one as well. You know, like they're, they're having that debate. They're having that dispute. They're arguing about who is the greatest among them. That's the context for what we read right here. They've been in this argument. I find that we can relate to that as well. I, I don't know about you, but let's just see if you can connect with it. I find I spend so much time and emotional energy and internal energy trying to climb some ladder that I've invented for myself of what success looks like, of what significance looks like, of what it looks like to justify your life and live up to your potential. And maybe for some of us, it's, it's you know, our parents set a high standard and so we're trying to live up for, you know, whatever we think our parents have goals for us. We're climbing the ladder they built for our lives. For others of us, it's more internal pressures. You want to live up to your potential. You know, you, you always thought as a kid, you're like, man, I want to do great things, right? People ask you, what do you want to be? And you're like, well, I want to be an astronaut, and then I want to be a, an all-star football player, and then I want to be the president. And you kind of just, you know, see the world, and you just, I could be anything. So we feel all this pressure to live up to a certain potential that we've set for ourselves to climb that ladder of success, for others of us, it's just like, well, this is just what I thought where I needed to be by this certain time in my life, right? That I needed to be in a relationship like this and have a career like this. It's just kind of fitting for a, 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 you know, a, an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old, a 32-year-old, 42-year-old, so on and so forth, right? Just this ladder of, I guess this is what I thought success looks like. In fact, this is so prevalent in our society The counselors are saying that success and the addiction to success, the being consumed with success is the new alcoholism. This is the new drug of choice that we destroy our lives with, this ladder that we're trying to climb of who's the greatest among us. Do you ever feel that? Just the pressure to be someone to be significant, to be, I want to be number one. I don't want to be number 12. I want to be seen. I want to be known. And 
whatever standards we set for ourselves. Do you ever feel that? I feel that. These disciples were feeling that. They wanted to be somebody. And as the counselors say, it's destroying us. It destroys our relationships because we'll use people. It destroys our bodies because we'll, 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 we'll do anything with our own bodies and our own time. And we'll take any type of stress to kind of live up to whatever potential we've set for ourselves. And we're destroying ourselves with this addiction to success. Jesus, on the other hand, seems so far removed from this same game that we all play. You read the opening story of the gospel and it describes all the big leaders of the day. The kings, the rulers, the judges, all of those people. Was Jesus born to a king? No. Was he born to a celebrity? Was he born to a Kardashian? No. Was he born to anybody of note? No. He was born to two random people in a manger, in a city that you or I never would have heard of apart from him. And so you read about kind of the wise men and the shepherds coming to see him, and you're like, well, surely he's going to be like a child prodigy, like a spiritual Bobby Fisher or something like that, right? And you think he's going to kind of come on his scene strong. That's his way, to make his way. And the gospels really disappoint if that's what you're looking for. Like we have one, maybe two stories about Jesus' youth. For the first 30 years of his life, very little recorded. Shocking to me that he's not trying to climb this ladder of success. He comes on the scene in his public ministry, and what do they do? People want to take him and make him king, right? He's like, uh, not playing that game. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it on, on your terms. I'm not climbing that ladder. Um, when, when, when he gathers people around him, he kind of starts to get a little famous. 5,000 people are gathered around, and he gives them a hard teaching. And you know what happens? They all leave, except for a few of his disciples. I mean, can you imagine? You have tried to climb your career ladder, that thing that you thought would make you significant and amount to something and live up to whatever dream you have for yourself. And then you say one thing, and everybody leaves? I would crush you and me. And Jesus seems immune. Like, not even really dialed into, wait, did you just realize everybody left? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not climbing that ladder. And then here we have this story, the disciples arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus comes in, and they've been on this journey. They've been walking together. If you know anything about their day, they all wore sandals, right? They're walking dirty rows with donkeys kind of walking before them and doing just fill in the blank with your imagination, right? So when you showed up, man, we're talking stinky feet. Not like just a little bit of stink, but we're talking like really stinky. Like, have you ever been around someone with stinky, nasty feet? Right. That's what's going on. They're sitting down to eat and you've got all these stinky feet from these dudes who've been walking all day. And so the way that they had it set up back then is not only did you wash your hands, right, which we do today or hopefully some of us do today. But they also washed your feet before a meal. Right. To kind of get the, the, the stink off of them, the junk, the grime, the, 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 you know, the you know what from the donkeys off the feet. Right. And the person that was to do this 
was obviously the least among them, was the servant, was kind of last in line, was like, yeah, we all know it's that guy that should be the one serving us all. And that's what the disciples, they're kind of, they're not, no one is taking that spot. They'll all see the need. They're kind of waiting to see, well, who's going to, who's going to serve us? Because obviously I'm, I'm number one in this group, right? I'm, I, I'm the greatest. And so it's scandalous what happens next. It's shocking. It, it upsets them. It throws them for just, I don't know, into a tizzy. Jesus is actually the one that gets up and washes their feet. Shocking, right? Because here everybody else is climbing this ladder of success and significance. And the one person that should be at the top of the ladder, Jesus, right, is the only one freely saying, ah, I'm not really interested in climbing that ladder. I'm going to get down and I'm going to wash your feet. And the disciples get upset, right? Peter's like, no, 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 no. Don't do this. I, I should wash your feet. And Jesus is like, no, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Now, the disciples, this story helps them formulate, helps them understand what would happen a few short hours later when Jesus went to the cross. That his going to the cross was at a macro level, what had happened here at a micro level. That he was washing their feet in a larger sense than just one interaction. That he, the king, the Lord, the teacher, the one person that we should have all served and sacrificed for, he wasn't coming to be served, but he was coming to serve. This is the scandal of Christianity. We're comfortable as people. We love the ladder of success. And so we're comfortable if you just put some image of God at the top of that ladder and you're like, hey, do these seven or eight things and kind of climb the ladder of spirituality. We're comfortable if this phrase is not save people, serve people, but people that serve are saved. We're fine with that. No big deal. It's offensive when it's the other way around. When it's God has come to serve us because we could not save ourselves. Because you and I, Peter, James, John, none of them were the hero of their own story. That's offensive. Jesus is like, you're not the hero. I'm the hero. And I've come to serve you. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Now the gift of this is in receiving the grace that Jesus was giving, in receiving the cleansing that Jesus was giving. These disciples, as well as you and I, are delivered from the kingdom of the ladder of success and invited into a new way of living where our foundation is not, man, am I the greatest? But our foundation is Jesus himself has saved me and served me and washed my feet. And just like Frozak in that story that I told you about could breathe when he was pulled out of the undercurrent. You and I, deep breath comes into our lungs when we're freed from the kingdom of the ladder of success and brought into the kingdom of the grace of the God who serves us and saves us. That's the great servant. He's the hero of the story. Now note what happens then. Jesus instructs them in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also 
ought to wash one another's feet. So this saving, this serving by Jesus was to shape them so profoundly, was to mark them so deeply, was to form them so powerfully that the fruit in their life, the fruit of salvation was going to be service, that they were going to serve as Jesus had served them. That they were not going to serve to build that resume. Remember, this is not the kingdom of the ladder of success. But they were going to serve because they had been served by Christ. And what you see the mark on disciples of Jesus through the generations is people who take this seriously, who pursue this command to serve as we have been served. There's this depth of authenticity. There's this fruit, this harvest in their lives that I want to show you. I want to talk to you about what happens when we as disciples, when we realize Jesus has washed our feet, Jesus has served us, Jesus has saved us. And so I'm going to give myself to serving others. What fruit happens? The first area is in our character. So if you're taking notes, realize the first area of fruit is you personally. Right? When you engage in serving as a way of being formed as a disciple, it transforms you because it attacks your pride. It attacks your greed. It attacks the way that your flesh longs for significance and ease and for recognition from people. When you engage in serving, when you cultivate that, for thousands of years, Christians have known this, that this is the real pathway to cultivate humility in the life of a disciple is through serving. Famous Christian leader Bernard of Clairvaux, medieval leader, said this, learn the lesson that if you are to do the work of a prophet, what you need is not a scepter to rule with, but you need a hoe to serve people and to farm with. That the pathway towards spiritual maturity is not, hey, everybody, look at me. Let me lead you. Listen to me. But it's, let me serve you. Not because I need that for my resume, but because I've been served greatly so I can give myself away. Whether I'm recognized or not, that's not the point. I'm here to serve. Richard Foster from Celebration of Discipline said this, nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. Everybody who's tried to serve says amen on that one. Nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. When we practice the spiritual discipline of serving others as a fruit of the way that Christ has served us, it leads to a deep transformation in our own lives. That's the personal fruit. But there's also a global fruit. You realize that as we serve one another, as the church serves one another, that we are to be the movie through which God is demonstrating his goodness, his mercy, his authenticity, and his power to a watching and dying world. Through the way that we love one another, through the way that we serve one another, it's meant to be a demonstration to our city of, oh, that's what the gospel is like. I got to see this firsthand through a close friend. Uh, she has um, spent most of her life 
just in opposition to Christ, Christianity, anything having to do with church. Probably hadn't been in church in 20 some odd years. And as I began to follow Jesus, God put her on my heart uh, and I would try and share what God had done in my life with her. I would pray for her. I would fast for her. I would talk to her when, when, when we would interact. I would share with her about Jesus. And most of the time she was apathetic, uh, even argumentative, antagonistic, right? You might have someone in your life like that. And then one day uh, she called me and she said, hey, uh, I'd like for you to help me find a church. Now, this was a startling phone call. So, uh, did you get the wrong number? Is this, you know, right? It shook me. And what I found out was that she had come in contact with a Christian community where she lived, and she saw the way that they were serving one another. She saw the way that when someone needed to move, that they had people just come and help. When someone was sick, that they had people that would bring food the way that they were kind of almost like a city within a city, except a very different type of city than the big city that she lived in. It was a city marked by love. It was marked by commitment. It was marked by serving. And what's funny is this particular church, these particular relationships, they didn't speak the same language as her. Like, so she could watch and she kind of knew some of them, but she was like, I can't, I don't know enough of this language to actually get in. So I want to find a community like that. I don't know if I believe what they believe, but there's something about that group of people that I want to be a part of. A watching and dying world, getting a witness to what grace looks like as disciples serve one another. As we plan to saturate Dallas with the goodness of the gospel, it's going to come through the way that we serve one another, that that movie is projected to the world. How many of you know there are people in your life right now, neighbors, coworkers, family members, that you would, the last people you'd suspect that are watching because they're hungry for a witness of love, of grace, of truth, of power in this time. And we have the opportunity to be the movie screen through which God displays his glory to the world. So what does serving look like? We see in this passage in John 13, if you go back to it with me, we see five characteristics that mark what this service looks like that have really been speaking to me this week. And I want to share them with you as we seek to cultivate this value Amongst us. So the first thing that I noticed in this, when you look at Jesus, when we take our cues from the way he serves, is that it's marked by commitment to specific people. It's easy for me to think of myself as a servant when, you know, I was at the grocery store this week and this person walked by and they kind of bumped the chips off the aisle. And you know what? I picked it up and put it back on the, the shelf. I'm a servant, right? It's easy for me to think that way. What I noticed in the life of Jesus is his service is focused on specific people. Yes, he's here to serve the world. Yes, pick the chips up off the aisle. But notice Jesus is serving people with a name that he's committed to. These are people that he's walked with for three years. And I was challenged to think about beyond my family, who are the people in the church that I am committed to to serve over time, 
Not the random one-off here or there, but the people. I was like, what are their names? Like, if I were to get real with this, like, I were to write them out, what are their names? What are their phone numbers? Where do they live? Where are their stories? Who am I committed to? If I want to live out this value of save people, serve people, I want to ask you, who are you committed to? If we want to serve like Jesus, if we want to see that harvest in our life and be a part of his mission in the world, who are you committed to serve? Second thing that you notice about Jesus is here in this interaction with these disciples. As he's with them, he's committed to them, but he's also listening. He's noticing the need. He's seeing, wow, we've got a foot odor problem here, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book about community called Life Together, noted that the first act of service that we as Christians are to give to one another is that of listening. So it's our first ministry to one another. He said the people that grow tired of listening in their relationships in the church also grow tired of listening in their relationship with God. And in the end, evolve into just rambling on with their own thoughts everywhere they go. I was convicted by that this week. I was like, man, how many times am I in situations where I'm listening, but I'm really playing tennis or ping pong in my mind, just waiting for that ball to get served my way so I could put spin on it and slam it back with the right answer. This is really, let me just tell you a thing or two. Do you connect with that? I was like, man, how much am I not listening to people? And how much am I not listening to God? It's convicting to me. Uh, when you look at the issues going on in our world, I just wonder, what if Christians were known as the best listeners? What if the people of Jesus were not known as the best ping pong players, just slamming it back at you, but we were known as people who watched and listened as a way to serve? I, I was challenged. I, I wonder who you're listening to and how you're listening is. Number three, Jesus is helping. So he doesn't just see the need. He doesn't just listen. But then he gets up and does something about it. He's practically helping. Bonhoeffer really challenged me. He said, if you're too busy to help people, uh, you're probably too wrapped up in your own career. I was like, oh, man. It's convicting and challenging the way that I serve. So out of listening, how are we practically helping people? So I just want you to know as a personal thing, Christina and I, we, we've tried to cut back on our number of commitments. We've tried to cut back on the way we're filling our schedule to leave more time just to be able to serve the people that we would say, this, this is who we're committed to. That's how this is working out in us. I wonder how it might work out in you. Number four is bearing with people, right? Jesus has been with them. And this issue about who's the greatest has been going on for a long time. And he's bearing with them. When we serve, we're called to bear with one another in our ongoing, man, I sure wish Zach would change. I sure wish he would get over this deal that he has, that we kind of go around this loop again and again and again. 
Right? And it's just important for us to see, like, it wasn't like Jesus was serving just because it made him feel good. It's like, oh, I'm just passionate about washing feet. It just makes me come alive. It's my spiritual gift to wash, wash poo off Peter's feet. I just get so excited about it. No, he's not. He's doing it because he is expressing love and grace, right? It's a different way of serving. It's bearing with and it's speaking. Then he teaches and we're to speak to one another to speak the gospel, that this is the way that God serves us. That's what our serving is to look like. So I want to leave you with that, those questions for reflection of how might these shape your discipleship to Jesus. This is something that we're going to pursue as a community. Just one note, if you're like, man, I really don't know uh, who I would say I'm committed to. You know, I kind of come sometimes and do different deals, and i got a busy life, but I don't know who I would say in the church I'm committed to serving. I think that would be a great place to start as we reflect. We have a number of serve teams, which are structured serving opportunities. So if you're like, I know that God is calling me to grow in this personally, and I want to be that movie screen to display His glory to the world, and those next step cards in the seat back in front of you, you can say, hey, tell me some more about one of these serve teams, because I want to I want to engage with this and not just be kind of a bystander, but I want to be a disciple. I want to let this shape me. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to God. The way we're going to do that is by taking communion. So we'll have our efficients at the four corners of the room. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we would love to invite you to take communion. If you're not a Christian and you're like, ah, I don't really know where I am, feel free to uh, abstain. There's no pressure on you, but we want to go to God and celebrate this commitment that he's made to us, this that we are served by Jesus. And we do that through taking of the bread, which stands for his body broken for us, drinking of the cup, which stands for his blood poured out for us. So I want to invite you to stand. And I'm going to pray for you, and the band's going to lead us in a time of response. And, and we just want to go to God. And you can come take communion when you're ready uh, to do that. And we'll close here in just a minute. Jesus, thank you that you don't play our games with the ladder of success. But you bring us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of grace. God, thank you that it's not uh, serving people or saved, but it's saved people serve. And I pray that you would grow us up, Lord, in serving like you serve. I pray that our lives would be movie screens through which you demonstrate your glory to a lost and dying world. And that we here as the church, Lord, that we would serve one another as a fruit of our salvation. In Jesus' name. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.